Yeah, people, it's just saying that people that stay at bed and breakfast are just much more susceptible to be murdered in any part of their life. Yeah, they're far yes. more, more trusting more trusting. It's a, it's a litmus test of uh, blind faith in people. You know, yeah. See, that's know. the problem, too, is I'm always ready to die. Welcome back to the R2T2 podcast with Ryan. Rich is back, aka RJ, Tommy, and Tyler. How is your evening going, gentlemen? Phenomenal. Good. Fantastic. Good. Good. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, check us out at the at R2T2 podcast on Instagram. We have a link tree now, which we'll have that link up soon on our Instagram page to get there, as well as on Facebook. Uh, uh, it's but. also going to be in every single podcast episode description. So if you just scroll down or open up the description on whatever you're listening on, you can get to our link tree and then you can find all of our links there to our socials, to anything we talk about in an episode or uh, the socials of a guest we have on or anything like that. So that's all set up now. Yeah, we're going to try and start adding you know articles, pictures of stuff that we're talking about. So that way you guys have a real visualization of some of the stuff we cover. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about a movie that, you know, Three of us, three of us, you know, got around to watching. Three of All us. Right. Oh, was it Ryan that didn't watch it? <laughs> All right, man. Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to talk about copyright, and uh, we might hit up a couple other subjects. So, where shall we begin? Start the movie that sucked. Ah, yes, oh, that's, Ryan's that's... deep, insightful <laughs> thoughts on the movie he didn't watch. <laughs> Honestly, I'm having a super t- hard time even remembering the movie, even though I actually did watch it, Ryan. And um, I had to put a little pre-workout in my uh, my drink here for well, this podcast. You came in, you came into <laughs> Discord when I, I was just showing Discord, and you came in. And you're like, dude, I'm not okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like, when was this? I don't know. He like watched it at work, and he was at work, and he joined Discord after he finished watching. He's like, dude, I feel different. <laughs> so so the I movie think, was like I think you might be uh paraphrasing a little bit, but I did say something like that. Yeah, he said something. <laughs> so we were talking about the movie so the outpost, it's on Real- Netflix. Go ahead, Tommy. I was just gonna say RJ, quick, like thumbs up, thumbs down on the movie. Thumbs up, good movie. Tyler, thumbs up, thumbs down. I give it okay, frankly, I give it all of the thumbs up. So huge, huge thumbs up, tremendous thumbs up. Big Lee movie. Big Lee thumbs up. Uh, I give it a thumbs up too. Okay, cool. So we all liked it except Ryan who hated it. (laughs) Didn't like it at all. Yeah, he he hated it so much he decided not to watch it at all. (laughs) No, what happened was, is I was in Michigan and my girlfriend hates anything remotely scary or gory. So when you mentioned, yeah, it's a little gory to her, she absolutely noped out and then i just didn't have any time so why don't you just like doesn't wear the pants in the relationship so he didn't get to watch the movie (laughs) i'm not gonna force her to watch a movie she's scared of ryan when do you normally go to bed three isn't it like yeah when does she normally go to bed i don't have time 3 a.m i believe (laughs) we're (laughs) we're night owls how do you not know if it's the same time as you how do you not know no no, we went to bed at the same time okay i was out there i I legitimately which was what time 
3 a.m. <laughs> I just I'm just saying, you had, you had two weeks. You, you probably could have watched it. Could have stayed up till 5 a.m., I'm just saying. Sound like a quitter. <laughs> Even RJ watched it. Two weeks ago, you guys were saying, Ryan, you really need to get more sleep. Yeah, but <laughs> you're not, like, you sound like a quitter. Yeah, but not at the expense of the podcast, you imbecile. Oh, okay. <laughs> yo, yo, before we get into this, can we talk about the most blatant mistake we've ever made on the podcast, which we made last, last two weeks ago? And by which we, Ryan made? Ryan. When, when Ryan decided that uh, Robert Downey Jr. was in... Um, okay, yeah. What was it? Whatever. Django and James. Robert Downey Jr. did blackface in Django. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody corrected on me on it. Everybody because, was like, yeah, that you makes sense. Said it, you said it with such a high level of confidence <laughs> that I literally sat there and thought, where was RDJ in that movie? Who, he, who, 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 what black character did he play? I was convinced. I'm an idiot. I was convinced that I just didn't remember. That's how confidently you said it. And I'm like, I'm I idiot. know Jamie Foxx was the main character for sure. So, and I know Samuel L. Jackson was in it, so he wasn't the other main black character. So, yeah, listen, I, I, it merely made me question whether I want to do this whole podcast thing. Because I wonder how much nonsense I just spiel out on a daily basis and nobody calls me on it just because I'm so confident when I say it. Well, I, I would think that this uh, podcast is a good character building exercise. Is it? Because you've definitely <laughs> been called out a few times. We were like, no, I totally don't agree with that. And we're like, what? You're like, hold on. Let me look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was the trail of tears? What was the trail of tears? <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, so you confuse Django with Tropic Thunder. Right. They're both like in the Very similar, similar movies. They both have like a gun in them. They're very similar. Like, they're they're both comedies. Yeah. They're like not, Vietnam not. era, right? What? No. What? <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Have you seen either movie? I've seen Tropic Thunder. I have not seen Django. You've seen have Django you? Unchained? Django Doesn't sound like you have. Pre-Civil War. I've seen. What? Django's pre-Civil War. Right, that's what I meant. Yeah, that's close to the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Django is, to be honest. You just said he was in it. You, <laughs> wait, wait. you just randomly <laughs> accused somebody doing a blackface in a movie you haven't even seen. And I you don't meant know what it Tropic is. Thunder. I just got the names mixed up. You mix up Tropic Thunder with... Do they have any of the same letters? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Django was just on my mind. <laughs> I don't even think they do. Oh. <laughs> you... you yeah, they both okay. have. Yeah, they both have. And what a riveting topic. <laughs> what, that I'm wrong? Okay. No, the matching letters in two movie titles. Yeah. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, three of us, not Ryan, watched a movie called The Outpost, which is basically about, believe it or not, an outpost that was in <laughs> Afghanistan in a completely indefensible position it was at the bottom of a valley between three massive um mountains they had what was it four hours from air support two four hours uh, so, some, some hours. something like that it's it's hours, hours yeah. with air support no um no uh artillery on the outpost the only thing they had was a mortar team in the way of anything outside of small arms um and it was a company size element so like a hundred dudes 
just out in the middle of nowhere in a valley in Afghanistan. This is back, what, 2006, 2007, something like that? 2009. Okay, but back in the earlier days when the battlefield was less developed in Afghanistan. Um, and they are set up in uh, just ridiculous odds, basically. And I think the movie did a really good job, first of all, of uh, you know the general lingo of the military. They definitely talked like soldiers. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so. the The deal with this movie, and it's a really good movie, even if you don't like, um, care about them being accurate to things that are in the military or military jargon or culture or anything like that, or the battle itself. It's it's honestly just a really well shot movie. Um, but. I had a point. I don't remember what it was. That's shocking. Oh, yeah. So they That's had um useless. Yeah. They had <laughs> they actually had people that were in the battle. It's the battle of uh doesn't matter. Kardesh, Kamladesh, Kameldesh, Cam Camel something? I don't know. But they had people that were actually from the battle both acting in and helping produce the movie and uh including one of the Medal of Honor recipients from the battle. So it's really cool. Um, we really liked it, and uh, yeah, the Battle of Camdash. Camdash, that's it. Um, but yeah, basically, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. Uh, I was gonna say basically, it's a really hard movie to spoil. Although, if you're worried about spoilers, go watch the movie real quick. They all um, die. <laughs> they don't all die. Um, but it's a really hard movie to spoil because it's kind of just historical fact, and what you watch the movie for is not like the plot twist or anything, but. Um, all the other little stuff. Uh, but yeah, to me, it just seems like they did a really good job of capturing like what it's like to, and I, you know, I never served or anything. So Tyler could speak towards this more, but like what it's like to go overseas and fight a war and not really understand or anything like that, like the greater mission, um, but still be there and like fighting to protect the guys next to you and stuff like that. Yeah, like Tyler, him. how accurate was it from your point of view? Because those of you who don't know, Tyler was... How, how long did you serve in where? Afghanistan? Nine months in Afghanistan. Right, so you've been deployed, and so what's your take on the movie? How realistic was it? I mean, to be completely honest, those dudes' experience was nothing like my experience. I had it much easier than they did. I was on Kandahar Airfield, which is second biggest base in Afghanistan. Um... Rolled out a mission six days a week, but um, never saw anything like they did. Um, definitely the, I mean, just the the way they talked to each other was was pretty spot on. Um, the way you know you have leadership that you get along with, leadership that you don't get along with. At one point in the movie, well, so their first two commanders, their first two CEOs get killed. And they were pretty squared away dudes, and then they get like this third commander who was just an absolute jerk, totally useless. Um, and that was a good like representation of that happening sometimes, of how you just end up with bad leadership who is either afraid to make a difficult call, um, doesn't doesn't, you know, stand up for his guys, um, is too by the book and then ends up putting his guys in danger. Um so there's definitely some good stuff that they accomplish. And also the sense of urgency in the movie. Like when you're watching it, you kind of, did you guys get that feeling? Like the sense of, like you kind of felt almost rushed while you're watching the movie with everything uh, going on. I had this feeling of like, I think they did a really good job of like snapping between 
or snapping between moments of like just hanging out and like going about your daily, you know, life. And then all of a sudden you're in a firefight yeah, and back and forth, that kind of thing. So it keeps you on edge the whole time, but it also does a really good job of showing that like, that's like, that's like normal for these guys. Like they can get out of a firefight and then just go right back to BSing and stuff. And Which it's like, 100% happens. Yeah. It's just like a day to day thing. Like you'll literally see this guy walk into a shower and then bullets just start flying and impacting around them. And that's how they know that they're in a firefight. There's no warning. There's no like, oh, I see a dude. It's just like all of a sudden there are bullets all around. And this guy, like, there's guys in basketball shorts running ammo and stuff yeah. because of how quickly it goes from zero to 100. And it's just. Do you think that's what contributes to people's PTSD is having to flip a switch constantly and just live in constant. Uh, uh, I actually think it's guys. All right. So this is totally opinion. And. Uh, I'm obviously not a doctor, but uh, I think guys that can flip the switch better have it less. Mm. Um, like, well, maybe that's not true for PTSD, but it's probably true for just your mental ability to handle it. Like, if you're not somebody who can switch back and forth, and as soon as something happens, you're stuck in that mode for days or weeks, you're going to lose it. Mm. Um, I mean, there was... There was times, you know, we'd be like, get off mission, um, go eat dinner, go change to go to the gym, and slam, like, you know, a gallon of Mr. Hyde, which is like the super strong pre-workout we all took. And all of a sudden, you take uh, you take uh, IDF, uh, indirect fire, you know, like a mortar round or whatever, and then you have to go stand at a bunker with, uh, you know, pre-workout flowing through your veins. <laughs> but then... So then you go from like, all right, I'm going to the gym to now I have to be ready to roll out depending on how bad it is to, okay, it was just a few mortar rounds. Now I can go back to going to the gym. Do you find that, like, I found that this movie too did a really good job of like, if you follow um, some of the more military uh, YouTubers and stuff, you'll kind of get a glimpse of this. But basically every other movie I've ever seen, um, the only time they ever have to worry about running out of ammo is when it's like a plot point. But <laughs> this movie does a really good job of explaining that like all of the ammo you need is not necessarily right next to your 50 cal and your mm -hmm. mounted machine guns. Like there are dudes whose job it is, is just to run cans of ammo back and forth. And like how different that is and what people think it is in movies. I can't think of another movie that's been like that. Yeah. And I, th I think, I think that was actually now. now I'm just thinking of this now that you're saying i think that was one of the things that kind of added the sense of urgency to the movie was little stuff like that where it was where it was something that was constantly true not like just as you're saying not something that they made to be true for one part to make it more interesting where there was like common themes like there's common themes of guys running around in like their pt shorts and you know like their tan tees instead of their full um Multicams, or you know, guys constantly running ammo, um, the constant radio calls back and forth, checking for casualties. There was like things that were consistently true throughout that made it more chaotic, but they made it, but they did it in a way that it enhanced the movie. It didn't make it, you know, more difficult to follow or yeah. less entertaining. It makes yeah. me, <clears throat> it makes me think about um, my buddy who is going somewhere for a graduate degree in psychology or something like that is doing his ma uh, his master's thesis on combat addiction. And that reminds me of that, how 
people who can flick the switch and like get so immersed in in combat roles a lot of them end up getting addicted to that feeling of like the adrenaline high and the dopamine that you get Mm -hmm. and they end up like feeling misplaced when they get back and end up either deploying again and getting addicted to it or seeking thrills somewhere else that's destructive yeah uh we should have your buddy on one of the podcasts sometime yeah that'd be sick we could pick his brain about what he's researching and stuff yeah i can have him on I can um, be, that'd be sick yeah i need another vacation yeah, that's, that's definitely <laughs> that's <laughs> have to be what? rj that takes the vacation um no that's definitely true for the guys that can flip the switch deployment and this was kind of true for me is that deployment is less stressful in a lot of ways than normal life um you give every company that you owe money to whether it's a uh your, your 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 um uh auto loan bank or your cell phone company you give them your deployment orders everything gets frozen you don't have to pay any bills um you're not dealing with any really any family drama while you're over there um you wake up either go to the gym before or after mission you go on mission you come back you, you know eat dinner do whatever you go on mission next day everything every, the whole day's planned out for you. you never have to worry about what to wear or what you're doing <laughs> or um, you know, how you're going to pay this bill, all the foods cooked for you at the DFAC, you know, if you're lucky like me, a lot of guys I know didn't have that there. We actually had a, uh, one of the, one of the, my company got split up. So I was doing a guardian angel mission set at CAF. Uh, one of the, our other platoon stayed in Kuwait and was like a quick reaction force at QRF. And then another platoon got sent to, uh, they actually re stood up an abandoned fob called uh, fob tombstone. So they were out there oh. for a, they were out there for a month without running water, electricity, anything. They were eating MREs for a month, no showers for a month, no hot food for a month. So they were really out in it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think too the reason and like we all agree that this is a good movie, but Tyler and I were kind of talking about it about how it's like an important movie, especially like for anybody to watch, but especially like as an American. Um it, it just it, the the other things that you know it kind of speaks to is like one these guys were at this combat outpost Keating and it's like widely realized that it was in the worst defensive position it could have possibly been in it was like at the bottom of three mountains and then like on the fourth side it was a river so you're <laughs> they were constantly getting shot at from above um and they couldn't get out or in easily like they couldn't drive in because the roads were so bad when they flew in they had to do it like on a new moon um, in complete darkness, you know, and and drop people off in in the middle of the night. Like they didn't fly during the day a lot, and they were just completely. And so and then, but the 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 outpost stayed open because you know somebody's boss or some some somebody in the some you know, general bureau- who yeah. ran a logistics train his entire career probably decided that this is where this outpost was going to be, and he has like no actual combat experience or anything like that. Yeah, so you get. I mean, I, at the end of it, got kind of, like, a shock that, like, like especially at the end, they do, like, a, a memorial or whatever of everybody who died or got injured there. And you're seeing, like, people's names and their ages come up. It's, like, 21, 19, 20, 22. You know what I mean? Like, ages. And I'm, like, all these kids younger than me. And they're there. And the only thing they're really doing there is just, like, keeping the guy next to them alive. 
you know, it seems like. It's like they don't, like, they have a mission and some people know more about it than others, but really at the end of the day, like, day to day, all they're there to do is just, like, go where they're sent and then, you know, just do the best they can there. And then you have, it's just, it's, it's a really good, like, reality check to remember that there's people out there that are doing things to protect your, like, freedom and way of life. And you could make arguments one way or the other about, like, how necessary the war was and all kinds of stuff. But there are people that do that, you know, for you to have your rights and stuff. And it's like, it's good to keep that in check, you know. And it kind of, whenever I watch movies like that, it kind of makes me angry. Like when I watched 13 Hours and it was about Benghazi. Not that Benghazi was directly related. Well, it kind of was to the wars in Iraq and the war on terror is. they kind of died in vain because we didn't do fulfill our job and we didn't do our due diligence. And like Jocko Willing talks about this all the time. He's not, he doesn't sound bitter about it, but you know, the battle of Ramadi, which was like one of the bloodiest battles in the entire war on terror. It wasn't a, it wasn't a battle. It was a complete campaign, but yeah. Yeah. Um, they liberated that city and the people in the city loved them for it. And then we just pulled out and then ISIS came in and filled the void and, and beheaded everybody's family who ever even talked to a U.S. soldier. And like, it kind of invalidates all of those people who didn't necessarily need to die or didn't want to be there. You know, 21, 20 year olds kind of, um, diminishes what they did and what they sacrificed for yeah that was just really pisses me off that was definitely one of uh the only times i've ever been truly upset by uh like something political going on is when we started um uh started diplomacy with the taliban like that was super upsetting for me (laughs) that we were negotiating with the guys that we had spent, you know, 20 years uh, fighting. And actually, you know what's crazy? This is kind of a little, just a little side fact. 2018 was the first year that there was kids in Afghanistan who weren't born yet when 9-11 happened. Isn't that wild? 2018. So in 2018, there was dudes serving in Afghanistan who weren't even born yet when 9-11 happened. Oh, I, I get what you're saying. I, yeah. When you said kids, I thought you meant Afghani kids. No, 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 no. Like, there was yeah. U.S. military personnel over there serving in Afghanistan who weren't even alive when 9-11 happened. 2018 was our first year that that was true. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was super upsetting to me. And to kind of caveat off what Ryan was saying about them loving us when we came into the city. Is that, and I want to make this super clear that this is not opinion, okay? This is not opinion. This is a fact, and you can deal with it. Is that a lot of the (laughs) Afghans want us to be there? This whole myth that all of these countries, all these people in these countries hate the US and hate the US military because we're invading their country, quote unquote, is exactly that. It is a total myth. There are people that hate us for being there, namely the Taliban namely Al-Qaeda, but a lot of the civilians and the vast majority of their military and government want us to be there. When it was my unit's, uh, when my unit's time was wrapping up in Afghanistan, um, the Afghan leaders were, were literally begging 
our officers and our um civilian advisors to stay. No, don't leave. Stay longer. We, we'll we'll help you. We still need your help. All this stuff. Um. So. Without without getting too much in the nitty gritty of it all, I was uh on a guardian angel team. So basically, I did security for, um, military and civilian advisors, and we would roll out to various places in Afghanistan, and the NATO officers and civilians would advise Afghans on how to handle logistics, how to train their troops, um, how to handle finances, stuff like that, how to uh, build their infrastructure. It was, it was an advisement mission. And mm -hmm. the Afghans wanted us there because we were helping them defeat the Taliban, and they knew, they knew better than anybody that once we left, they were not going to be able to hold off the Taliban. It was not going to happen. They don't have the military. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the leadership. They don't have the logistics. Name it. They don't have it, <laughs> basically. Isn't, um, isn't Afghanistan kind of just a lost cause, though, in a lot of ways because of the geography and the culture? It's a lost cause because of the way we approached it. You, don't th you think there's a world in which we could have a strategy where we eventually leave Afghanistan, but it becomes fixed? Absolutely. And that starts with 19 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. So here, here's, here's, you know, one of the ugliest truths I think that that exists is that it is better if these are the only two options, it is better to have 10,000 civilian casualties in the first couple of years than it is to have one or two civilian casualties every day for 20 years. Um, because the total lives loss ends up being less, less, um, well, my math might be off a little there, but you know what I mean? You know, it's better, it's better to go in and do what you have to do, help the Afghans establish a government. There's going to be bad stuff, but guess what? War is awful. War should be avoided at all costs. But if the only option is war, then you go in to win a war. You don't go in to see how long it lasts. Um, and there's just people are, you know, a lot of leaders aren't brave enough to make that decision that, yeah, there's going to be casualty a lot. There's going to be casualties lost. We're going to lose guys on our side where they're going to lose guys on their side. But it's better to get in, get the job done in two years and have a total less, have less total loss than to string it out for literally 20 years and having still people dying to this day in a war that has no end. But you think you think had we done that, we could have been in and out of Afghanistan in a few years. Yes, because the because we would have started the rebuilding process so much earlier, um, and Taliban would have been wiped out more thoroughly, and it would have sent a message to Taliban that this is how we handle things, that you're not right. going to be able to hide in your holes, you're not going to be able to hide in amongst a civilian population, um. It would totally change how they would have to do war, um, and it would give us the upper hand. Do you then discredit the whole argument that if you are too, you know, if you're too willy-nilly with your, with your civilian casualties that you end up creating more terrorists? I mean, there's really no evidence to support that. Uh, people that are going to be terrorists are going to be terrorists, basically. Um, it's definitely more of an upbringing thing than a in the moment this one thing happened um not to say that doesn't happen obviously i know 
I'll, I'll get attacked for speaking in gener gen generalities, but generally speaking, that's just not how it happens. It's people. I also that are... don't think that applies to what we're doing, what we're talking about right now. Like we were called into the war on war in Iraq by nine eleven, and you can ar there's there's valid arguments to say that we went there for different reasons, or maybe we shouldn't have gone there in the first place. But once you make that decision to go, then you go. Well, Iraq was there. actually a little different. So the invasion of Iraq was relatively successful. Well, it was actually super successful. We defeated the Royal Guard, you know, in basically one swift stroke. Um, but it was that we, we lingered there. We didn't handle the rest of it properly. And then when we did leave, we just left. And there was yeah, a huge power we're... vacuum and then ISIS forms. Yeah, no, we left a total void. We didn't, <clears throat> we didn't set up any sort of infrastructure or, or governments that give people power and these people power to fight back against, you know, these coalition forces, which is why ISIS exists now, because we went in, messed stuff up. Well, to be fair, left. ISIS doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. The, right. But the, the whole we kind of they... did. We kind of did what we're talking about with ISIS. Yeah, we did it so, again. But, and... So the only thing with ISIS that's different is that it was more of a conventional war and that they were actually holding ground. They had established territory. They had infrastructure to attack. So it is different, but it is much more how we should have handled it in that we went in and... <clears throat> what, do you guys, what do you guys think about... Because my position's moved quite a lot on this. I'm reading things RJ's writing in the chat. Um... What do you think about U.S. Uh, isolationism and what our role is on the global scale of kind of like fixing yeah, the world's problems? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I like to say that we have a moral responsibility to stick up for those. But, you know, the world, it's a hard truth, but the world probably is a better place with people like the Saudis in power. And well, as though, opposed to? As opposed to the alternative. And... Do we have a moral responsibility to fix things like North Korea or Saudi Arabia? I don't know. That's a tough... So, so, my opinion on it is that, like I said, war is pretty much the ultimate evil. I mean, war and genocide are probably like the two worst things that could happen on Earth. Um, and I think most people agree with that. But... Our country, a lot of countries and the people in our country don't often act like that's true. Um, I don't think we always take the necessary steps to avoid war. And when I say that, I don't mean that we are, we are too aggressive. I mean that we are not aggressive enough in nonviolent ways. Um, you know, it always seems like we're too afraid to put hardcore sanctions on a country. We're too afraid to... Um, uh, take take very strong diplomatic approaches to situations because we don't want to make people upset. But if we did those things, it might it might you know um, have have strains on a relationship temporarily. You know we might you know if we did a whatever it was to China you know embargoes on China uh, stuff like that it might have a temporary dip in the economy. You're avoiding war, and if and if everybody and I think. I'm speaking for everybody here, but I think most people agree that war is, you know, an awful thing. And if we did better in in the the things leading up to war, that we could avoid war, um, 
then we would be able to be more isolationist. And then, and then, if it did come down to war, because we did do absolutely everything, we truly did do everything to avoid war, well, then it means that war is necessary, and then we go in, win the war in two weeks, and then we leave. Um, well, two things. One, I think I agree with you about being aggressive in non-violent ways. Like, this was a big contention with, uh, RJ's doing gymnastics now. <laughs> uh, this was a big thing with Iran, right? Everybody was scared we were going to start World War III when we started imposing tough sanctions on them and mm -hmm. stuff. It never happened because Iran doesn't want World War III with the U.S. Like, at the end of the day, they don't. They want to... They want to whine and complain on the global stage and look at, like, but whatever. But we went to war with Iran once. We wiped out their entire navy in a day. <laughs> That's not a joke. You can look that up. Like, all of their ships were sunk in a day. <laughs> um, so I agree with you there. But at the same time, like, how do you put sanctions on China and then actually have the cojones to then go to war with China when they don't respect the sanctions? Because war with China is not the same thing as war with Iran. Like, they got nukes, you know? It's, and we could say, like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe we won't use our nukes. If, if you're in war with a country and you both have nukes, those nukes are getting used at some point. So, so this, this idea, I guess, that, that, that I'm proposing is harder in or you know almost infinitely harder in situations where that wasn't the um policy used from the get-go um now that we haven't used that policy with china for decades um obviously there's a whole lot more nuance and difficulties to the situation with china um but again if we are using war as the absolute last resort there's going to be a lot of things that come before war but we have to be proactive and start using them time now in their full capacity um, rather than just waiting for war to happen. We need to be proactive and doing everything outside of violence to make sure that doesn't happen. I guess. I mean, I've become much more interventionalist. I think if there's evil out there that we can eliminate from the planet, like from what I've gathered from the guys who sign up to join the military, they want to go. Like, you know what I mean? They signed up to do that job. They signed up to go defend freedom and destroy evil. Yeah. yeah I mean, if it, we were it's like if you have the ability to, you know, end suffering of people and you don't use it, aren't you complicit in it? So I've become much more interventionalist over the past, like, probably three or four years. Um, well, again, I agree as long as... We have military leaders and a president willing to go in and intervene correctly. Yeah, yeah, that would be assumed. But <laughs> this, this, this whole thing with China brings me to like a new thing that I've been seeing recently. I, I don't ahead. know how you easily fix that problem. Like with China, China has countless human rights violations. I mean, over COVID, the way they maintained it or they contained it so quickly was they literally locked people in their apartments and sprayed them like while they, they were awake. They, they, With, uh, they uh, welded, welded people in their houses. Yeah. They, they welded their doors shut. <laughs> like also, how, how do you go against the number two economic superpower in the world with a military? I can tell you how, I, but, but real quick, the other thing with China, you, know, you guys know about the Uyghur problem, right? The what? 
the Uyghur problem. Oh, that's yes, not a yes, that's yes, not yes, like yes. a racial slur or anything. That's literally what they're called. But the yeah. Uyghurs are Muslims that live in China. That uh, the Chinese are just putting on trains and disappearing, and they've been doing this for like a year now. <sighs> it's like, uh, what? I don't know what you do about that. I don't think it's as simple as well. Yeah, I think the world had the same problem back in 1939. When, uh, you know, certain somebody was being kind of rude to uh, another uh, group of religious people. <laughs> yeah, but like, the world really can't afford another world war. Well, here's here's what I'm getting at. There's a new nuclear... Nuclear? Did I say that right? Nuclear, yeah. Nuclear. There's a new nuclear arms race, and it's not... Everybody's got nukes now. Um, so we're all kind of on a level playing field of mutually assured destruction. But there is one technological development that will change all of that. And that is good anti-intercontinental ballistic missile systems. Mm -hmm. So the first country that can develop a system that will shoot down 100% of nukes that are launched at it will be the new nuclear superpower. Mm -hmm. Like, now you, can, now you can throw your nukes at people and people can't throw it back at you. I said, this, you always... I said this when I was like 15. That that should... Oh, there he's back. We just lost RJ for a second. That the U.S.'s... Number one military priority should be n nuclear missile defense. Yep. I mean, hold on. The, the, isn't there a saying that the best defense is always lags behind the offense? Yeah. Like, it's just not reasonable to say the U.S. should dump all of its resources or a lot of resources into um, missile defense so that we can be the new nuclear superpower because we can shoot down 100% nukes. Like, that's never guaranteed. And I used to go to school near, I forget what it's called, but Lockheed Martins, it's this battleship that they basically place in a cornfield and it's where they're developing the U.S.'s intercontinental ballistic missile system, defense system, and it's not even close. <laughs> and I don't see that as a valid solution to the, we need to stay away from world war with china and other economic superpowers i'm not i'm like, not saying it's a solution to it i'm saying that it, it we need to develop it before anybody else does we have to because well, there's yeah. no there's no weapon we can develop at this point that would scare somebody away from using a nuke like and nukes are so destructive that it would we wouldn't be able to use it on anybody that could fire back at us here's the thing i what I'm very concerned about is I'm not so concerned about North Korea. I'm not concerned about Iran or anything like that. I'm concerned about um, these radical groups like ISIS or <clears throat> some any religious radical group that believes if they nuke the, the West, then they're going to heaven and that they have eternal life if they nuke something yeah because then mutually assured destruction no longer holds that's right. no longer yeah we're so both concerned in... about the same thing here we're both concerned about situations and where mutant where mutual assured destruction no longer applies you're saying it's when the other guy doesn't care if he dies yes and i'm saying it's when the other guy can't die i don't think that's reasonable or or possible i really don't i do i think if china develops a uh, def missile defense system before us it's going to be bad I, I agree but to say that you can create something that's 100% 
effective as a defense is, I think, ludicrous. I don't think that's possible. 99.9% I really, what it, what I really it, don't. Whatever the really limit of so. it is, we need to be the best at it. I mean, We need to be it first. I mean, China is developing inertia weapons that go up into space and are basically just giant-ass steel rods that just come plummet towards Earth. I mean, what's your defense against that? I and don't think that will ever, ever be economically feasible, by the way. The, the I, I tungsten, the, think the tungsten uh, rod drops. There's a couple reasons why, but I you don't have to get it. It's China we're talking about. You okay. Know, I, I you know, know that they're going to come up with something that's not a nuke that once we have, okay, great. You're a hundred percent safe from ICBMs. Well, China has um, something they shoot up into space. That's an inertia weapon. How do you stop that? It's I agree just, with you. I agree with you, but that's why we have a space force now. You know what China's solution, <laughs> by the way, to this nuclear war problem is? What? They started putting everything underground. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like 150 That's... feet underground with like full ventilation systems and stuff. All their like all their government buildings can be run completely underground. Well, that's what we have uh, bunker busters for. N not this deep. <laughs> I mean, so um, back to handling China. I mean, I think part of the it can't be us, obviously. China's gotten to the size where it can't be us. We have to be uh, united as a as a planet, or at least as you know the developed world, and and uh, ha put sanctions on China that are so devastating to it that they have to, you know, bend the I, knee. Quote, I agree. Quote. I think the way you fight China is not with the military, but with the global economy. Because China heavily relies on globalism, and that's why they're because they can do everything cheaper and they export all their goods. If you put sanctions on that and you get the whole world to agree to stop, the problem is, yes, we have a moral responsibility, but we can't do it alone, especially when it comes to these giant uh, superpowers like China. It, we need the entire world. Yeah. Also, what would really help is uh, capitalism in the rest of the world, like true capitalism, where there isn't so much regulation and and taxation, and then it's just cheaper to do the I jobs guess, other I mean, places. I, I wish NATO would, and the Security Council would just do what they're intended to do and not just... I, the, well, I, technically, I, I really NATO, think the UN, NATO is to counteract Russia, technically. I think, but I think that what... The, the UN is pretty pointless right now. Wait, I, you, I are you talking see... about the UN or NATO? Both. Well, they have different jobs. Right, I know. <laughs> NATO is like the, the global peace force and the UN. Yeah. NATO's I did job, model UN when it... What? NATO's job is to wear blue helmets and make sure everybody's magazines fit in everybody else's gun. <laughs> Why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> But it definitely does need to be unified front because just the U.S. putting sanctions on, and and, and sanctions aren't even like I said aren't even the long term solution. They're a part of the solution. But in order to, you know, remove uh, uh, China as such a power on the world stage, the rest of the world needs to have policies that incentivize business so that people don't go to China for business. Like that's really the long term solution. I don't know, China will always be able to make steel cheaper. You know what I mean? Like, unless you 
put embargoes or or tariffs or taxes on what they export, they will always do it better and cheaper. And if a true free market, like what you're talking about, would have no tariffs or anything like that, you would have the option of importing those things from China. So I definitely think it involves the role of the government. Well, that, regulation. well, that's why I'm saying that the tariffs and the sanctions are a strategy, not a forever policy. Did you guys know that in New Jersey, at least, every um, uh, every piece of iron or steel that's used for like roadway construction has to be made in America? Like a law, because it's so much cheaper to get it from China. Yeah, manhole covers and um, uh, storm drain inlets and all that stuff, you'll see U.S. Foundry on, like, every one that's been installed in the last 15 years. And They have to do it because we can't compete with China because they make it so much cheaper. And India. India is a big one. China might be able to make it cheaper, um, but if we get close enough to where it... um, we cover the cost of what it takes to get that steel here. We're nowhere close. I, I doubt you could ever do we that. We are I mean, they, nowhere close. China has the perfect system where they have a huge population that they have com- absolute control over. And they guise it under ca- a free market, but really they can yeah. tell people what to do. They own the means of production and they can dedicate as many resources as they want that we can never match. Mm-hmm. Not with supply and demand. Well, it, okay. so. Even if it is steel and maybe a couple other places, it's better than them dominating everything, basically, right? Like they do right now. Right. I think we'll never get there. I don't know. We'll never it, get where. I mean, I I think there's definitely some markets that we could take them in if we had the right policies. I have no idea. I mean, I don't know. Not, that's starting to get that's starting to get too deep into economics, but that I that I just don't know, but. Yeah, I know that I know that we're not anywhere close on a competitive field with a lot of things because they make things so much cheaper, especially carbon emissions. <laughs> RJ, <laughs> you can say these too. things out loud. RJ has a thing he'd like to say. What? Chinese steel is like sixty six percent of American steel. I was just searching the background. Jamie pulled it up. Oh, so we're not that far off because I'm sure if you factor in the cost, they get to insane. That's a lot, dude. That's a lot. 66%. Yeah, but I'm saying if you, you have to also the factor in the cost that it takes to get it here. Also, the extra costs are spending to run an international business when it could just be run nationally. Tyler, I'm telling you it, that it has to be a law in New Jersey to keep people from using manhole covers made in other countries. Yeah, I'm saying right now. Yeah, of course. Okay. Isn't our biggest export debt? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and freedom how very very american (laughs) we export freedom like you wouldn't believe it blew my mind when i when i realized that america has just become a debt-based economy yeah and that's all gonna change if like china kind of beats the u.s on the global economic stage because we'll all be trading everybody will be trading in the yen you know what's really good (laughs) is Corona kind of levels the playing field for a second because everyone's screwed. And I don't know. Those debts are close to not mattering if everybody's screwed anyway. But, hey, you know what I mean? Also, are you, no, talk, no, no, are you talking about the Great Reset? Go, uh, the Great Reset. <laughs> are you talking about the Great Reset right now? Yeah. 
Yeah. So just like how um, now that Biden won, us college students are probably going to be better off, at least maybe, because I think there's a good possibility he's going to pass student loan forgiveness. Yeah, that'll be great for all the people that already worked hard to pay off their good student for me. loans and people that went to Afghanistan to get the GI no, Bill to go great to for me, for free. Though. Yeah, but it's great for me. It only applies so, for students currently in college? No, no, any federal student loan, I think he wants to pass like up to $10,000. I think it's federal and private, right? I have no idea. All I know is he wants to pass student loan forgiveness and, and like, you know, I think it's one of the things he it has possibility of passing with a Republican, with a red Senate. Um, because there are beyond how obviously economically stupid that is. The, the gonna, implications that has the lessons that's going to teach to an entire generation and generations to come is terrifying to me. That the government, the government is now basically mandating that um, personal responsibility no longer exists. I think, I think a big problem here is people need to realize that they're not made for school and they're not made for college. And if you don't want to do something intellectual, don't go to college. You don't have to go to college for your music tech degree. I'm sorry. You don't have to go to college to get some humanity that you're not going to do anything with. If you're not going to go into academia, you're not going to do something technical. Don't go to college. That is why college is so expensive is because the government started to provide it for everybody at two-year schools. Then everybody started to have an associate degree because it was the thing to do. Everybody would just go to college even though they weren't going to use their degree. Now everybody has a two-year degree that's no longer marketable, so you need to go for the four-year degree. And since everybody's doing it, they can charge more. And all of a sudden, it's, you have a $40,000 tuition when people you know, 60 years ago could pay their own way through school on a McDonald's job, on a fast food job. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. It's, it's that it's too easy to go to school. It's too easy to get these federal student loans that people just do it. It shouldn't be that easy. You should have to work hard to go to school. You should want it and you should want that career at the end. And you should be going to school because of that, not because it feels right or that it feels yeah. like the next step in your life. Or because, yeah, because everybody goes off to school and they party and that's like the thing we do in our culture now. But here's the other big problem is now you can't get an entry level job in a lot of places without a bachelor's degree. It's That's like an immediate, it's immediate screening. Like don't have a bachelor's degree. Don't make it past the HR screener. It, we, we have it's effectively crazy. made, we have effectively, I'm, I'm all for having an educated society, but all we've done is we've effectively made it. So you have to spend a hundred thousand dollars to get a high paying job. And that makes absolutely no sense. Like why is there a financial barrier just for a stamp of approval? Because you need a four year degree, even if it's completely useless, just because everyone else has it. And here's the other fun fact. If you, this is hilarious. If you compare somebody who's making, let's say you're making two grand a month, right? Didn't go to, didn't go to school, just entered the workforce. You're making two grand a month. Compare it to somebody who went to school. They get out of school. Maybe they make three grand a month, uh, but they have um, uh, $900 a month in student loan payments now. So really they're making 2,100 a month compared to the other guy who's making two grand a month who started his job four years earlier. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And, don't get me wrong when I say if you don't want to do something intellectual, it's not like I'm saying you're dumb or that you're not capable. I have immense respect for people who don't go to school and love their craft and do something and they're very good at it, mm -hmm. right? That's what I respect. I respect when you dedicate your life to something and you're extremely good at it. People who just go to school because they 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 feel like they have to go to school are the opposite of that. Even, even if you might be smarter than the dude who's uh, a woodworker, that dude's more accomplished and I respect him more than the person who just goes to school because they feel like they have to. <laughs> yeah. 
this is a big rant, but I see it so often in my school where, you know, I ask I ask people, I'm like, oh, what what's your major? And they go, oh, music tech. I'm like, why'd you choose music tech? And they go, well, I don't know. I wanted to go for something and I wasn't good at math. So I just went for music tech. It's like not to bash people who do music tech, but it, you know, it's ultimately useless. And, and <laughs> even if you individually, you can afford it and your parents can afford you to go and get that music tech degree. You are contributing to this issue where people who really want to go to school for computer science or go to a good school can't because they can't afford it. And you are basically uh, supporting that by going to school and eating up and and feeding into this giant uh, federal loan system that makes colleges so expensive for those people who otherwise would do a great job in college. Yeah. And so you're literally doing a disservice to the people that you know, Bernie Sanders and uh, Joe Biden think they want to help or or say they're trying to help. You're literally doing the opposite. Yeah, it's counter yeah. it's counterintuitive, but all of the federal aid makes it makes college less affordable. <laughs> For sure, because the college knows that the the government's going to pick up the check. Like, yeah. if, let's let's like, oh, we can charge twice what the average person can pay and the government will pick up 50 percent. Well, let's just bump that up 10 percent. The government will pick up the extra. Like, yeah. it's 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 crazy. If, um, if you if you do not have a plan to pay for college, that's not taking out loans for the entire thing. Don't go to college. <laughs> Like that's well, a rule of well, thumb. a lot of people's plan would be to have this high paying job when they come out. Okay, so, but so that, like, but that, but see, that would be a plan. That is a plan, but people have to look at their degrees as an investment. Meaning, yeah. if it's gonna take sixty thousand dollars to get your degree, but you have an eighteen percent chance of getting a job in that career field, and then when you do, you start off at twenty eight thousand dollars a year. That's not a good investment. If you're taking out loans for that whole thing. Yeah, this is why you don't hear doctors complaining about how much they have to take out. Like, they do complain about how much they have to take out in loans, but they're not, like, begging for forgiveness because they're so committed to their craft. I mean, you're not going to go to med school if you don't want to become a doctor and you, you're you not, like... Yeah, and it's not like I, doctors I would, aren't finding jobs. <laughs> yeah, I would guess that <laughs> the, the percentage of people who go to med school and don't end up being doctors is very low compared to people who go to, like, an engineering school and then drop out or change their major to something like liberal arts or, or and I'm not looking down on liberal arts, but Okay, wait, wait but hold on, hold on, hold on. No, I'm not. That's kind my, of a my, weird comparison that you compared the percentage of doctors that get jobs compared to people that don't finish school. So I'm saying, I'm saying people <laughs> who go into med school are much more determined or are much more likely to get a high paying job out of school and they're they're you don't hear them complaining about the two hundred thousand dollars they have to take out to become a doctor. Well they they complain about it, but they're not you know, they don't need this student loan forgiveness because they were determined to become a doctor. And that's the mentality that has to be for every single degree. Yeah. That's how it should be. I was just confused yeah. by you comparing them to people that didn't finish school. <laughs> Wait, are you saying uh, that people, I, are you saying that people that start their, their, their doctorate are more likely to make it through all the way than people that go to school for something else? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that, like, if you go through med school, like, you're much more likely to come out with a good paying job. Yeah, I got that. Just, I just didn't get the comparison. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, um, do you think, 
student loan forgiveness would be a net negative on the economy or a net positive? I don't know. Um, it's gotten to a point where people go ahead. There's so much student loan debt in the economy that, you know, a bailout isn't the worst thing that could happen. But what needs to happen is this needs to be the end of these massive, um, you know, just take out a federal loan at 7% and go to college and then get a degree that is worthless to you. And you could have just, you know, <clears throat> picked up something that actually interests you or that you're good at or go to like a trade school or something like that. Um, that's what needs to be fixed. I don't, I don't know. I have no clue. Um, well, I think we've gotten to the point too with the student loan debt to where it's becoming harder and harder for people coming out of college to buy houses. We have to, no buying power. And to dump money back into the economy. It's all going back towards the federal government. That's why I, I, I don't f- think it's the worst idea. Well, I, the $10,000 one or total loan forgiveness? Honestly, I don't think $10,000 a person would do enough. Yeah, I thought that was a weird yeah. number. It seemed really low and like kind of... If if $10,000 wipes out your student... I was just throwing that out. Yeah, if ten, well, no, that's the number that's he gives. That's the number, yeah. That's one of the numbers he gives. But if $10,000 wipes out your student loan debt, you're not the person who's crippled by student loan debt. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. People who are crippled are like $50,000 But it's a big debt. problem because, you know, that's... $84,000 more than that. It's so much more money that that person is undoubtedly going to reinvest in the economy and not just paying back to the government. So like and, and supporting small businesses and things like that and not just paying back to the if government. If the government has the ability to just say, "Yeah, you don't need to pay us back this money." It's like, "Okay, well." But that is an important <sighs> distinction between private student loan forgiveness because that requires the government paying money that they didn't already you know, a federal student loan forgiveness is just them saying, don't pay us back. But, you know, a private student loan forgiveness program would be a bailout, essentially. That's and the that, one that I do not think is worth it. Much more. Especially. Yeah. I, I'm not opposed to a. Especially a private total forgiveness, because that's like, what does that end up being? Like $17 trillion or something like that? I don't, I don't that know. Much. No, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the U.S. is trillions of dollars in, in, in student debt. Total. I'm sure we can pull. Are we like that we... 17 million trillion in debt just in total? No, we're like 23 trillion or something like that. 22, 23 trillion total in debt. It's 1.7 trillion. Okay, so I was way off. Oh, well, 1.7. We I thought 17. Okay, I got an order of magnitude. It's fine. I got I got 1.56, but regardless, there's that's that would destroy the U.S. if we just all at once were like, here's 1.7 trillion. Well, they wouldn't do it all at once. They would they would uh absorb it over like a 10 or 20 year budget. But I um, really do not think that public student loan forgiveness is a bad idea. As long as it is tied together with no longer having the loans that we do now. Yes, yeah. But no, that that's, yeah, that's, that's the problem. We need I to fix that system. see that happening. The way it's happening right now with the with the um the administration that we're most likely about to have, I see student loan forgiveness and more student loans <laughs> and easier yeah. and easier student loans to get. Yeah. For yeah. Well, they're also uh, with, with the whole student loan forgiveness, they're also pushing freest, um, 
Free community college and state college for everybody. It's like, ooh, then now you're just exasper- exasper- That's literally exasper- the problem that making I was the problem getting was. at. Yeah. Where everybody's going to need a bachelor's now, degree to work at McDonald's. It's not only that. It's, it's going to discourage people because when you go to school and then you realize, well, nothing fits me in this college, then all of a sudden you're a bum <laughs> compared yeah. to you could have done something that interests you right out of high school or during high school. Learn a trade. And have done really good at it. Mm-hmm. And this stupid dichotomy that is put out by the media is, okay, you're, you're either in favor of an educated democracy and society or you're against um, free college. And that's just not true, right? You don't mm-hmm. need to have a four-year degree to be educated or to be an informed voter or to be intelligent. You d- the degree is meaningless. It's just, it's effectively the same thing as, uh, it's, it's, it's just a stamp that, sh- that shows that you're competent in this field. Well, I mean, how else do you want them to create a partisan divide without it, drawing it that has, dichotomy? It has absolutely nothing to do with you being educated. <laughs> yeah. They need to it, force just, pe- they need to, the liberals need to force people into colleges so they can indoctrinate <laughs> them in their programming. That's not a bad point though. Like he, okay. Alex Jones makes really good points to six like whenever i listen to alex jones i was listening to him on the way to michigan the joe rogan podcast and he'll start saying something and like there's a meter going on in my head and i'm like okay 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent, totally agree totally agree then it gets to 60 percent, and then he just goes off the rails and <laughs> the, the, the next 40 percent of what he says i'm like why joe, didn't you just stop joe, well, joe on, listen on, listen on, the democratic fair. party the democratic party are alien lizards <laughs> Okay, that have taken the form. Joe, uh, Joe, listen to me. <laughs> I, I am, but, but it's like drinking from a fire hose when you talk. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I never, like, I never just was like, I'm going to go listen to Alex Jones. But having looked into the stuff that he actually says, he's more towards, like, the 80% right. I know. He's beyond yeah, 60. I know. Like, he's but, right But then he does lot. that thing with, um... But then he does that thing with Sandy Hook and and the paid actors, which was not true at all. And it's like, well, what happened? Why? What happened? Why? Listen, I'm telling you, from credible sources, it was a red flag operation. And if you don't believe me, <laughs> then you hate America. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, I, uh, but I, on the, you know, college educated versus non-college educated, like, I work with, uh, I went to college, obviously, and I work for an engineering Why firm. Why is that obvious? With... You sound like an idiot. <laughs> what? Uh, did I say obviously I went to college? I thought yes. I thought I was just saying that because it was known. No. Okay. Well, you I went to school. Obviously, I, w- I went to college <laughs> because I'm brilliant. Um, <laughs> but so I anyway, I work with an idiot e- real quick. Bring it back down to earth. All right. Uh, I work with an engineering firm and then, but I, but I work with a lot of construction crews and these guys like, you don't see like the miserable office worker look on any of them. They show up early in the morning. They, they, they'll, they'll put pipe in. That's like three feet across giant concrete things and like nail it to like one, one hundredth of a foot, you know, 300 feet down. You know, like they're, they're, it's just like they, they do really good work. They all have a good time. They get paid well and, and they all like leave their job satisfied at the end of the day. And so many of these people go to school because they were told to, and then end up in a job because they were told to end up in a job. And then they hate the, hate their lives. 
It's like don't buy into the don't buy into the system. Don't go to college if if it's not something you're super passionate about. Okay. Here's the other thing though. I don't totally buy into pursuing something just because you're passionate about it. I agree. No, absolutely not. Uh, but you need to pick the Listen. I think that you, my you thing is I think something... people when they're unless they unless they're passionate about something that has a high success rate that usually results in a good income, people should leave high school, find something that makes good money. And then in their part-time or in their off-time, work on the thing that is more of, like, a moonshot. And then do that in your free time so you actually enjoy it. But, like, if you're really into, I don't know, what's what's a good example? Podcasting. Yeah, if you're really into podcasting, like, don't bank on podcasting coming out. Or, like, don't bank on, you know, dancing to be your form of income, I guess. (laughs) No, that's another thing. It's like you got to pick something that's abs- that's marketable that you can make something out of. But you you have to pick what you're good at and what you don't hate. Like I work for a legal marketing agency, and the work we do would absolutely bore anybody. Like if you just looked at what we do daily on paper, it's the most boring thing in the world. Like we're marketing for lawyers, it, and our boss is. Like my boss is an extremely happy person. He's extremely fulfilled with what he does as a job. But if you were to tell somebody like at a party, oh, what do you do? Uh, I run a business that's a legal marketing SEO firm. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. just crickets. It's it's not skydiving. Yeah. Um, no. So I, I think he's just... absolutely fulfilled. Yeah. And fulfillment does not mean that your job has to be interesting. It doesn't even mean that you have to like it. It's just that you have to like being good at it. Yeah, yeah. I think that was something I think, that I want. Uh, I think a better sums up what I was trying to say earlier is like, do something that you're good at, not necessarily something that you're in love with. Yeah, yeah. At least Mike Rowe talks about start, this. At least when you first start, like your adult life. Mike Rowe talks about this in a TED talk or something. I'll link Mike it in the Rowe? link tree. Mike oh, Rowe. oh, dirty um, jobs guy. Dirty jobs guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he talks about this where it's find something you're good at that can make money and then become passionate about it. And that's something you can do. Like people wait around and be like, Oh, I got to find a job about, you don't know what you're going to be passionate about because you don't know anything about the world. (laughs) Like that's just the way it is. Find something you're good at. That's marketable. Get in that field and then find a way to become passionate about it. And that's the best learning. Contentment is the best way to happiness. Cause if you chase happiness, you'll never get it. Also, I think people need to flip their, their perspective and what fulfillment is. Right. Because I worked at, we, we all worked at like the same restaurant and I was very fulfilled at that <laughs> we job. We did. That's so funny. Everyone, yeah, we, I literally every one of us worked, at the, worked at the same restaurant and it was awful. And, but at the same time, I was extremely fulfilled with what I was doing because I took pride in what I okay, did. First of all, first of all, the word awful should not be insulted by associating it with that <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> that place was terrible. <laughs> It was the but, worst. You know, it was still gratifying at the same time. Because if you take pride in the work you do, you get gratification out of anything you do as long as you're good at it. And yeah. if you are making, you know, $80,000 a year, you don't have any debt, that means you have disposable income, which means if you're like really into woodworking, guess what you can do? You can go buy the woodworking equipment for yourself and use it. Yeah, but I don't think I, I I see what you're saying. You're saying like as long as you make enough and leave yourself with enough free time, you can pursue the thing you're passionate about. Yeah. I still think though, like b- what you're implying is that you could do a job you hate for forty years. No, 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 no. That's why I said when you start, 
when you start off in life and like you just need to get your foot in the door and you need to make some money, you need to establish yourself, go do something you don't like for four or five or six years. <laughs> if it means it's going to be a lot more money and more, more financially um, beneficial. Yeah, if it can get you somewhere. Yeah, if it can get you somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Don't, no, life is not worth being miserable for you, 40 years. You spend more time at work than you do at any other thing. Unless Other than maybe you sleeping. love what you're doing, because then you'll never work a day in your life. Gee, I no, you absolutely, you absolutely work. I hate that so much. Even if you love what you're doing, getting up at 9 a.m. So to job. do it every day. It's just like, there's there's sucky parts to every job. Okay, then don't retire, you know? Like, everybody's going to retire. Well, I guess not. I don't know if I want to retire, guys. I really don't know. I'll never retire. Uh, like, I will always at least... I want to retire now. I'll always be doing at least some type of volunteer... You know, something or other, at a minimum. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I just can't see myself going just not to like being a, productive in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, you know, like going to like a retirement village and just living in my house and doing yeah. nothing. I've always thought like I want to, um, I want to kick ass at what I do, and then when I'm like sixty or seventy, slow down and then and then teach at like a college or something like that. Mm. But I never want to stop working. I don't think. Yeah, for That'd sure. be good, though, because you'd be one of those good professors. You'd be one yeah. of those professors that, like, did it for 40 years. Yeah, and those and, who can't then, teach. Yeah, and then they're a professor because they want to bring up more people who, like, because they love what they do and they want to get other people to love what they do and set people up on the right or, track. And not, or they just dropped out of the workforce and now they teach. He'll be super jaded. And hate all of his students as soon as they walk in the door <laughs> <laughs> and explain to them why none of them are good enough. <laughs> you could do that. Yeah, I had a, the two camps. I had a calculus professor that uh, told us that if we have a girlfriend, we won't get an A in his class because we won't. Yeah, have I enough. had to, I had professors like that. We so won't have enough it's... time. And Tommy was like, "Jokes on you! I don't like girls." <laughs> <laughs> RJ just attempted to say something. He's talking, he's talking to, to Erica. He's talking oh. to Erica. He's, he's uh, been talking to Erica for a while. Hi, Erica. Hi, Erica. <laughs> Hi. Wow. We He's... really went off the rails. We didn't talk about anything that we said we were going to talk about. We got time. We talked about the stand. Uh, a little bit of time. We talked about... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we talked about student loan forgiveness from the outpost. That's crazy. Yeah. Whoever's keeping track, you got to let us know how we got from, from point A to point X. Somebody feel free to produce a diagram. Yes. <laughs> I expect it on my desk Monday morning. Off. All right, what what have you guys been saying the last 15 minutes? Um, you know, that'd be funny if you were joking. <laughs> <laughs> How is Erica, RJ? How was your guys' She's good. Uh, your little, little vacay? little vacay action? It was fun. It was... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, let me stop you there. Take a step away from your microphone. Or four. Or like, you know, just adjust. There we go. All right. Continue. It was fun. We, our honeymoon, air quotes, was to but why is a that bed and breakfast. Was it not your honeymoon? Wait. It was the wait. vacation we took after our wedding, but wait. it was not the one that we had planned and paid for. Oh. Wait. And where'd you go? Hang on. Tell me what. You just went on this trip. No. This is, a, this is a follow-up. I'm adding context to the story. 
Tommy, I'm how sorry. about you let him finish? I'm so not used to RJ speaking that I forgot like how to <laughs> listen to him speak. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. So we went to a bed and breakfast in uh I forget the exact name of the town. It's just north of Trenton, yeah, maybe twenty minutes or so. Oh, that's uh, um Ewing? Ewing Township? Maybe. I don't know. Like I said, I forget the name. But uh this past ish weekend uh we went to another bed and breakfast out in Ephrata, pennsylvania um oh, you guys are pros. it was really nice it was built what's that you guys are pros at the whole bread and breakfast game now <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun it's a really nice super it's like built in the 1700s they've got binder with two pages of the history of who it was all sold to and everything they've got an on-site brewery and restaurant that have really really good food oh, that's actually pretty cool. uh, and it's and it's right along this uh, busy road with a whole bunch of shops and restaurants and things to do. Did they have a sign um, that said George Washington that... slept here? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's I don't what know. I think of when I hear be- be- bed and breakfast. Yeah. What do you think of when you hear bed and breakfast? So, um, a bed yeah. and I, eggs. I dislike bed and breakfasts. Maybe I'm wrong here because I went. I, I was, we vacationed up in upstate New York, Lake George. Okay, doesn't really matter. But we ended up staying at a bed and breakfast, and it was so freaking intimate with the owners of the bed and yeah. breakfast because there were only three rooms, and you would eat breakfast with the owners. Like this is freak. This is weird. I don't like weird. This. I mean, that's like the whole. That's like totally. that's, that. that's like the goal. That's like the purpose. It's weird. Yeah, also, I'm I was right really, on this. Weird. really anticipating you not knowing what a bread and breakfast was and start talking about something <laughs> else. Is that what you went to though, RJ? Like you ate with the owners? They didn't like sit down at the table with us, although maybe they would have if Corona wasn't a thing. Food for us, and yeah. That's weird. They cooked us breakfast every morning. Uh, you eat. Weird. You eat in their dining room or their kitchen. That's and weird. They cook for you. Yeah. What's wrong that's, with that? It feels that's... like a Stephen King movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it felt like. So I don't mind doing something like that for like one meal when you're going to one of those family style restaurants where like you sit down at a huge table that you know yeah, that's, it's like that's, wholesome. You know, yeah. Oh, you mean like the Good and Plenty? The good and plenty, yeah. yeah. What's one? Of, oh man. What's one in oh. Tennessee too? But like you sit down and there's forty seats on each side and a whole bunch of people you don't know just all sit down at the table and they keep serving you. Like to do that for a meal, it's like all right, it's cool, cool experience. But just to have to like wake up, eat with these people you don't know. Come back for lunch. Weird. Even these people you don't know. No, 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 no. Let me stop you there, dude. It's a bed and breakfast. You don't eat lunch there. Oh. Yeah, no. Uh, apologize. You go across the street for the chair lunch dinners. For the what? <laughs> the chair Never lunch heard dinners? Th- what? There's a comedian, uh, Mitch Hedberg, who has a joke that he's going to open up a chain of chair lunch dinners across the street from the bed and breakfast. He says, oh. come on over around <laughs> noon. But you gotta be out by eleven because you can't sleep in the chairs. <laughs> I, yeah, I was super confused yeah. having never well, heard that specific joke before. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, I'm remarkably unsociable in the morning and all the time. But I was you're not the morning. target audience for a bed and breakfast. What? You're not the target audience for a bed and breakfast. No, I'm aware. I'm just saying I, I cannot relate to you at all. Here's, it. Yeah, Here's the, what the I target audience for bed and breakfast are people that don't buy being my murdered in their sleep. Right, exactly. <laughs> Ryan and I have a problem in life, and it's that you hate people. 
We, no, we are I both inconveniencing people. No, 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 no. The problem runs much deeper and will be with us forever. <laughs> we are both people who are very anti-bed and breakfast, and we are both dating women who would probably like bed and breakfasts. Allie would not like. Allie bed wouldn't. Breakfast. All right, you're lucky then. No, because but Felicia. I, I do would. know what you mean? Yes. And and I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this for uh, sixty years. Yeah, Outside likes, of the breakfast, what do you have against a bed and breakfast? Uh, the how the, close I am to the owner. It's so intimate. They know exactly yeah. where you sleep. They know exactly who's in what room. They know you. They talk to you. They get to know you. If they disagree with you, then they know that. Plus, there's like you, you don't, don't have, have to have that kind of relationship that they with them. Have porcelain dolls that stare at you while you sleep in the guest room. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what kind Here's, of sociopath does it take to run a bed and breakfast? RJ, listen to me. I think if you compare. The murdered rate <laughs> of people who stay at bed and breakfasts versus people that don't stay at bed and breakfasts. I think you Definitely would find higher. that people that stay at bed and, bed and breakfasts tend to get murdered more often. Wait. Probably. Wh- how are we defining this characteristics? Just uh, general. People who stay at bed and breakfasts get murdered more than people who don't. Okay, but what I'm saying is the context here, where are they getting murdered? They have to stay at the bed and I breakfast think, no, to get no, murdered? No, no, just in general. If you are the type of a comparable murder rate to Chicago. <laughs> If you are the type of person to stay at a bed and breakfast, you are the type of person that's more likely to get murdered by someone oh, that's like, true. Uh, I'm not staying in that room that that person owns that could have put anything in the room and have weird uh, what b- pictures that they could walk through and murder me. They're going to chloroform the pillow and come out yeah. under the floorboards? People, I'm just saying that people that stay at bed and breakfast are just much more susceptible to be murdered in any part of their life. Yeah, they're yes. far more or trusting, more trusting. people. It's a, it's a litmus test of uh, blind faith in people. You know, yeah. See, that's know. the problem, too, is I'm always ready to die. <laughs> <laughs> what a bomb to drop on the podcast. I'm always ready to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it makes what, what I was gem. about to say what completely pale in comparison. RJ, RJ is known for dropping <laughs> these just absolute <laughs> diamonds in the rough. Just once, <laughs> he's got so many one-liners that are just explosively <laughs> hilarious. I'm always, I'm always ready, ready to, to die. die. That's <laughs> the thing about me. I'm always ready to die. It's okay. He's, he says that like it's a common character trait. <laughs> I know. I'm loyal. I like chocolate. I'm always ready to die. <laughs> are you okay? RJ's, RJ's like in four years going to get his like uh, personal pilot's license or whatever and be like, hey, Tom, you want to come up in my uh, Cessna? I'll be like, uh, no. No, I don't. Why not? Uh, remember that thing you said on episode six of the podcast about always being ready to die? Yeah, I'm good. Yo, isn't that crazy that if, like, two pilots of, like, a 747 are having a bad day, they could just fly that into the ground? You know that's happened before. You know that's happened before. There was this one uh, 747 full of passengers. This guy's an absolute asshole. I'll curse just for this guy. He... No, he, um, no, you, you you won't curse just for this guy. <laughs> I'll curse just for this guy. Give me a pass. Because he had a 747 loaded full of people. And then when the um, when the dude, when the, 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 the captain went to go pee, uh, he locked the, the cockpit door because they locked now since 9-11. And well, now pilots have override keys. So they can I was in, about but- to say, there's a really simple solution to that problem. <laughs> no, airlines are like 
uh, worryingly, you know, okay, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Insecure. No. Uh, yes. Trial and error. <laughs> they operate on trial and error. It's a little concerning how much. It's like, oh, this catastrophe happened. Let's maybe not let the pilot lock the other pilot out of the cockpit. You know what's crazy about that is I don't have like the anywhere near the highest level of like preventative experience, but I know for sure that anybody with my level of experience and higher would be able to go into that situation and like think of all of these things in advance. Yeah, like, like, yeah maybe that you shouldn't be able to lock this pilot out yeah, of the yeah, cockpit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he he had a seven four seven full of people. It might have been a smaller plane, but it was a big jetliner, and he just drove it into the ground because he wanted to commit suicide. But like, how much of an asshole do you have to be to commit suicide with like two hundred people? There's the got to be something else there going on besides just wanting to commit no. suicide. And it was it was well it was mysterious because um this this thing know, is a this thing has a name pilot suicides. Well, wasn't the pilot? Apparently, there have been eight. Apparently, there have been eight of these instances since well, 1976. Yeah. The one dude, the most recent, I think, he, they looked into him because they wanted to like figure out what kind of pilots this comes up in. He lived a totally normal life. Like his wife said, he didn't notice. She didn't notice anything. Hey, kids, he didn't have any like changes in work or anything like that. No changes in mood. Yeah, except when he said he was going just, golfing, he was just driving around the neighborhood, picking up puppies and strangling them with his own hands and burying them <laughs> in the woods. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know. It, I don't know. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the planes, they can't really do that anymore. Most modern planes have a system called fly-by-wire that is built in to correct for pilot error or literally just autopilot. I think you could That's override scary that, to me. I think yeah, in emergency just situations, they have to allow the pilot to be able to override that. Archie, they, they, Not a single person, though. You'd have to take more than one. I don't yeah, think that's true. What, what, what if your co-pilot becomes the, incapacitated? The 747s had an issue where the autopilot would just abs override the pilot's input and just nose down. Yes. Oh, that's they why the, the 737 Max is, this is, this is was those, grounded. This is one of those crazy engineering no, stories that they teach about in school. It's a software issue. No, it wasn't just a software issue. They upgrade they so when they made these planes, they used the airframe from the previous generation, but they like changed the engines and when they did it, the engine sat further forward which changed the center of gravity of the plane and they didn't account for this in the software which caused the plane to nose down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this just sure. popped into my head and we haven't brought it up since like episode 1. How are you guys doing with your center of gravity? <laughs> I was like, where is this going? Uh, uh, I took a little hiatus because I had to drive across the country and there's like literally, I tried, but there's not very many good options. And also, let's driving. be honest, you took a hiatus way before you drove across the country. Um, yeah, <laughs> I took it seriously for like the first two weeks and then like five weeks before, or five days, sorry, five days before she got in the accident, I was like, kind of trailing off and then when i went out almost there, in the same well. sentence at one time you said i'm taking my health more seriously and then asked if you should get taco bell <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah i ate a bag of cheetos today <laughs> oh have you been doing good yeah. in general though i, I felt, will make I you felt, a kale I salad and ship it I to kale the past two days I, f I felt like crap um how have you been doing in general though i've been good uh um, losing like a pound a week Woo! i've been losing more than that 
I, well, I you, lost 12 pounds. You just started but, out. Okay, Tommy. So, I'm just saying. Do we okay. have numbers? What are you guys at? I have no idea what I'm at right now. I have now. no idea what I'm at. Next, next, uh, next I, podcast. Yeah, I'll weigh myself podcast. in. What, what, do what? you guys know? remember what your starting numbers were? Yeah. What yeah. were they? I was 297. What were you, Ryan? 272. Okay. I expect both of you to be down 15% of your body fat in two weeks from the start. 15% of your weight. That's okay. All right. Okay. That. That's better. From the start, from the starting. Yeah, 15%. That's not that bad. But it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. I've done that this year. fasting and it feels good, but intermittent fasting I haven't been eating awesome. correctly. Once you get in the groove, like I feel so much more concentrated and energetic and like I don't I don't yep. get like um I don't get that feeling at like two in the clock in the afternoon from like two o'clock. Two to, in the clock. Two in the clock. <laughs> two in the clock. <laughs> Two in the clock. You got two, two in the, in the clock. clock's worth four in the bush. <laughs> I think. I think. <laughs> uh, like that two. I always have like that two o'clock to four o'clock period in the afternoon. Keto fixes that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Keto does also. But where you just. Because you don't have the also. carb crash. Yeah. I don't think. Okay. No, right, it doesn't fix You're it deviating. for me. I still. It fixes a little bit, but I still don't, get. Don't, don't say things like carb crash. The reason that you get sleepy at 2 p.m. is because of your circadian rhythm. Yeah. Okay. How come I don't get sleepy at 2 p.m.? I don't know why you don't, but I, I know for a fact. Ever since I started keto. Uh, well, okay, I know for okay, a fact. Well, a what if I'm always the sleepy? The, <laughs> there's nuance to this. It The circadian rhythm factors into it, and it's also the fact that your body is just got them eating stuff and it's using a lot of its energy and right but the reason that you get tired at 2 p.m on the dot is because humans were made to when it's hot uh go indoors and sleep <laughs> i guess like at, but at, but i okay so however you want to whatever you want to call it i, I don't... know for a fact that is your circadian rhythm yes your okay. circadian might, rhythm plays a big like, factor in it and i know for a fact that once i started keto i stopped having that afternoon right. tired that's period. totally anecdotal no it's like, not because i've heard other people say the same thing know, and it's still anecdotal and, and that's that's like a that is like a well-researched thing and you might no yes it's it not is. that's the difference between what we're saying no it is well-researched it's almost a scientific fact it, that your circadian I, I'm rhythm agreeing with you. contributes. I'm agreeing yeah, with probably. You. Absolutely. It's the reason that 2, 8, 2 p.m. every single time. So, so there can't be more than one factor like, into why that happens? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, okay, so I'm saying, eliminating one of the factors can you, fix that? No, 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 no. no. Can, can you, said, that? you said the reason that you don't get tired is because you don't get a carb crash. Yes. For him. <laughs> I guess. And you don't okay. know that. I mean, so we can I make didn't a safe change anything yeah. else in my life. I didn't change anything else in my life. That's pseudoscience, though. Oh, oh I didn't God. change anything else matter. in my life. You, it could be placebic. But I wasn't expecting that outcome. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. It can still be placebic. How? How can it be placebic? The placebic does not require you to expect an outcome. Yes, yes it, it does. does. No, it doesn't. Yeah, by yes, definition. it does. You, no. Placebic means you feel an effect without. Um, necessarily I, the thing you're doing having that effect yes but the and person has to believe to, the thing would no, have an I'm effect pretty sure, no, no i'm pretty sure not, i have to check this but i'm pretty sure like part of the definition of placebo is something doing an expected result without it when, do, having when you go positive. on keto you are expecting to have more energy 
No, I wasn't. I was expecting to have less energy. Right, bullshit. No, I'm a, not, lot of, not a lot of people go into keto expecting to have less energy at first because of the keto flu. I, I don't believe you guys. Have you ever heard of I the don't keto care? flu? I don't care. Have you heard of the keto flu? I know that people have placebic effects on diets, and I know for a fact that people get tired at noon because of your circadian rhythm. Nobody's disagreeing That's what I'm you. saying. So I have a question. I, okay, ha, great. Would this, Tommy, I think, is. Would this placebic effect be enough to last 9, 10, 11 months? It could be. Like, people who go to chiropractors say that things that they didn't expect would be fixed when they went to the chiropractor get fixed is that real are chiropractors real doctors i would say Somewhere. no i mean they don't have to be a real doctor to give you a massage and make it feel good no like it it, may, it gives you more energy in the day or like makes you happier well i think that's, that's totally that's totally placebic right because they're telling you it's gonna but you but you're great go, so you're so, going so there wait. thinking that's what's gonna happen no yeah, like uh, I'm saying, listen, I'm saying people go to a chiropractor and this is all the time. They say things I did not expect to get better, got better. And all of a sudden, all my issues went away as soon as I went to the chiropractor. Totally anecdotal or, or, or totally placebic, even though they weren't expecting that exact outcome doesn't mean it wasn't placebo. Unless the chiropractor told them while they were there that those things could be possible. I don't think it, so. Every single per, every single chiropractor tells every single. Yeah, per, I'm sure they do because it's a great way to sell their this product. Is, this is stupid. also I don't think every single person comes out of a chiropractor saying everything is fixed. <laughs> this like people who swear by chiropractors say that chiropractors fix. It's like um, I forget what they call that pseudoscience. No. Well, it is pseudoscience, but... Fake, fake medicine? No. Well, here's the thing. Um, I swear by good chiropractors. <laughs> like, there's chiropractors that don't just crack... Like, if all they're doing is cracking bones, then yeah, they're useless. But if you have... If you're going you're to, like, a me. good sports medicine chiropractor and you have soft tissue issues, and they actually address the soft tissue issues by, like, stretching the right muscles and giving you the correct you're stretches... Me. I have a soft tissue issue. It's 21 years old and related to me. <laughs> What did you say, Ryan? You're losing Why? me. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think. You don't think that I if think you have, you don't think if physical... you have a tight lower back, if you have problems with tight muscles in your lower back, and they give you the proper stretches to loosen your lower back, that that's not real. That's not really. I don't know. I, I <laughs> think that's physical therapy, though. That's not. That's well, not that's, chiropractic. Well, no, because like, that's that's the bad chiropractors giving all chiropractors bad. That's why I specifically said a good sports medicine. It's just an example that isn't just a bone cracker. I mean, I'm sure there are good chiropractors out there that don't try to oversell what they do. That's not that's not what I'm saying. Well, I'm not even saying about overselling. I'm saying about doing something different. Like I said, if you just go in and like, well, I'm just going to adjust your back and everything's going to feel better. Like, yeah, that's dumb. But if they're addressing individual problems as they should be addressed, then yeah, I'm about it. I want to go get my chakras realigned. Uh, you have to get your... Uh, I, I, I just cannot believe that you don't think it can be placebic, that you aren't feeling tired just because you're on well, a diet okay, and expecting what, have, yourself Brian, to have you ever heard better. of the keto flu? Yeah. So, like, it is totally reasonable to assume that Tommy thought he was going to have less energy going into keto. Well, yeah, but when you go on a diet, you're expecting to have positive results, and... Yeah, but the only positive those. result I was expecting to have was weight loss. A lot of people right. go... That in, doesn't mean that it can't be placebic, that you, you experience well, Ryan, something positive and attribute that... What I'm saying is that a lot of that. people do go into keto expecting but to you're have less not, energy. The, the issue is you, you're not agreeing with my definition of placebic, which is, I think, correct. But you're also not agreeing that, that some pe a lot of people actually go into keto assuming that they're going to have less energy. 
So I, I know that people assume they will have less energy in the beginning of keto. Yeah. So oh, how sure, is that? But... <laughs> what? That can't be what, placebo what? effect then. I I don't understand how you think you have a gotcha here, but can you? I don't think I have a gotcha. Can I'm, you walk I'm me saying, through your I'm logic? Saying that if it was placebo, it would be that that placebic. Placebic. If it was a placebo effect, it would be that. People assume they're going to have less energy, even though there's nothing about keto that gives you less energy, so they feel less energy anyway. That would be placebo. I'm not... Uh, no, I don't think so. I, it can be... You can have a placebic effect of something that you didn't necessarily go in thinking... Like, if I take a pill and all of a sudden something positive happens and I... I positively reinforce this idea in my mind that that pill solved that problem that is still a placebic problem or that's still a placebic effect even though i didn't go in thinking that this pill would solve this issue i'm still attributing it to the pill and that's still a placebic effect no because and, and it's that going to, to continue to make but now we're but okay so i think we're disagreeing on is whether or not that can even happen without the presumption that something will happen it absolutely can happen i don't think it can Okay. 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 If you are, if you, dear listener, are a medical professional <laughs> or in medical school, please. Or not please. Ryan, and you agree I with us. I am not saying if that you a diet can't Tom give you more energy. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> please comment on our Instagram on this post. We will have you on just to disprove one of these people. <laughs> I don't care I, who it is. Just to be clear, I am not saying that a diet cannot in increase your energy. I absolutely will. But to say that keto is the reason that you don't feel tired at 2 p.m. or that your diet was the reason you were feeling tired at 2 p.m. is not correct. Hold on. What? I didn't say that only keto fixes this problem. I think eating healthy in a lot of ways would fix this problem. But it's just like a... Of the midday crash. Uh, it's an abs it's not a factor of how many carbs you eat. It's a factor of humans are just programmed to feel tired at twelve PM. Like that's just how it is. Okay, so according to William C. Shield Jr., M D F A C P F A C R, I don't know what those last two are. Uh, expectation too plays a potent role in placebo effect. The more a person believes they're going to benefit from a treatment, the more likely it is that they will experience a benefit. What does that have to do with anything? That you have to expect it for it to happen. That's not what that said. <laughs> That's exactly what it said. <laughs> no, it said. No, it's not. It said it plays a big role that the more you expect something going in, that uh, a, like a sugar pill is going to alleviate your back pain the more likely that you're going to feel placebic effect. Like, that's absolutely true, but that's not, that doesn't disprove what I was saying. I'm saying you can still have placebic effects that you didn't go in explicitly expecting something to get better. And if it does get better and you attribute it to that, it's still a placebic effect. If, if you attribute it to your diet and it just happened to get better or it, it, there are some placebic effects of the diet indirectly, that doesn't, you know, that what you just read me does not disqualify that. Okay, or it says does that make sense? It also says a fake treatment and inactive substance like sugar, distilled water, or saline solution can sometimes improve a patient's condition simply because the person has expectation that it will be helpful. Okay. Okay. 
We just need to find we will a shelf this. We will revisit this. If you know, if you are a medical professional or in med school, or agree with me, or if you know somebody who is, get them this episode because one of these people has to be wrong and it will be glorious. And I'm kind of hoping it's right. Well, I know I'm what not. What do you wrong. mean, these people? What? <laughs> oh, RJ and I are just. What do you mean, these conscientious of. <laughs> what do you mean, you people? And we've circled back to Tropic Thunder. Yeah, Ryan's favorite Except movie. Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. <laughs> With Jamie uh, Foxx and, uh... Yeah. yeah, didn't The Rock pretend to be an Asian guy in that movie? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Alright, anything else you guys want to bring up? Uh, just remind uh, everybody that Ryan was wrong about placebo before we wrap up, just in case they forgot in the last okay. 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> they can abs- Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Alright, uh, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the R2T2 or at R2T2 podcast as well as on Facebook. Like we said before, a link tree will be up, which I am sure we will have a definition of placebo up on the link tree within the next few days. Um, check everything out. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Hide your kids. Hide your wives. Just kidding. Oh, um, uh, the other... Wait, when this comes out, will the other podcast two weeks be up yes yes i don't oh, think it will oh the no. death Note challenge are we just gonna keep oh, running this challenge on every no. episode no 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 i think we should i'm not no Ryan, we're talking about the death Note challenge for this, so you don't know but it'll be over by now when you're listening to this um yeah so we will see y'all in a couple weeks, and if Ryan's still alive by then, it's because we didn't get the 400 listens and you didn't have to do the Death Note Challenge. I'm not looking forward to that. Later on, guys. See ya. Peace. Arjun didn't say Arjun goodbye. Arjun didn't attempt to say goodbye. <laughs>